Hi, and welcome to another edition of Menopause Buddies. Today, I'm joined by Ingrid. Ingrid was previously a pelvic physical therapist, but now she's an author and international speaker. And her most recent book is The Musculoskeletal Mystery, How to Solve Your Pelvic Floor Symptoms, is available. And we're going to discuss that in detail later. Hi, Ingrid. Hello, Annie. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Thank you for joining us. I'm very excited to find out more about this issue that we don't really talk about. But first, let's find out a little bit about you. Do you want to tell the listeners a bit about yourself? Sure, sure. So um, I am a pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, When I started with physical therapy, that was about 39 years ago, um, there was no such thing as pelvic floor PT here in the United States. And I had to kind of go searching as some of my pregnant patients confided in me that they had something called urinary incontinence. Um, so I had to go figure out what that was. And I discovered that in Europe and in Australia, there were some physical therapists doing pelvic floor PT. So the more I learned and the more courses I took, the more I got involved in it, the more I loved it. So it took quite a number of years, but um, I really started to specialize in pelvic floor PT probably about roughly 27 years ago. Um, And that launched me into um, doing so many different things that I think helped me understand, help my patients. And then the next step was to help other people. So I was involved in research projects at Duke University in North Carolina. And I was part of a residency program where I was a co-director and a mentor and uh, wrote a paper with the American Urogynecological Society. And then at the end, I really decided that I needed to get information out to more people um, that really helped both the layperson and the professional. So that's why I wrote the book, The Musculoskeletal Mystery, How to Solve Your Pelvic Floor Symptoms, because I felt like I was so frustrated that patients, oh, it was taking them 5, 20, and 30 years to walk through my door because they didn't know what to ask for. And the clinicians, the physicians and PAs and nurses didn't know where to refer them to. They didn't know that pelvic PT even existed. So the book helps people kind of find their way and get to the right care much, much earlier. Brilliant. Wow. What a busy career you've had. It's been a very exciting career and I'm very grateful to all the mentors I had and that I could mentor other people. It's uh, It's been so, so fun. And so great to see how people's lives can change so dramatically with pelvic floor PT. Um, I I couldn't be more honored, you know, to help people find their way and get better. Oh, brilliant. Well, I'm very excited to find out more. But first, shall we just talk um, a little bit about your menopause journey? How was that for you? Yeah, so mine was interesting in that as much as I was immersed in it and treating patients with menopause, while I was going through it, um, my life was very, very busy. So I had teenage children on one side and going into their 20s, and I had um, a Uh, my parents going through quite a bit of medical issues themselves. Um, And then I had my career 
So I had many things happening at one time. And interestingly enough, as many women did during the time period where I went through it and before, we're told, oh, it's just menopause, live with it. Oh, it's just menopause, it's okay. And you'll get through it. And all the nonsense that we typically hear, I kind of was heaping on my own shoulders. But the more I did with pelvic floor PT, the more I realized that maybe we shouldn't just be ignoring it. Maybe we should be talking about it more. And I became a huge advocate of women saying, look, you know, I have these symptoms. I don't want to just blame it on menopause. I might need to investigate, is this another condition that's going on? Or are there some simple things I can do during menopause that will help me through that journey of menopause and that time period of life? It's not an illness. It's a part of our life that we should be addressing and we should be honoring that it happens and not just be upset about it and do things about it. So I kind of through my own journey, learned to start to speak up for others with menopause. But I have to say that I did put it on the back burner myself and looking back kind of aggravated with myself that I didn't. But then again, I didn't have someone to help me or mentor me through menopause. Yeah, I think for um, those of us who, who've gone through it, you know, over five years ago, that it was a very different time, wasn't it? We didn't talk about it. And and we did get on with it. And whilst we probably would have liked time to investigate, we didn't make time for ourselves because we didn't, and we still don't probably as women, prioritize ourselves as much as we should. Oh, absolutely. I, I had to tell so many of my ladies, you need to put yourself on the front burner, not the back burner. Um, in my book, I talk about the oxygen mask analogy. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is if you go on a plane, usually the flight attendant will say, when the oxygen mask drops down in an emergency, I want you to put the mask on yourself first, then the child. And the reason being is if you don't do that, you can pass out. The child can panic. You, you're going to be of no good if you don't have the oxygen mask on yourself. And in life, if we don't put that oxygen mask on ourselves and realize that we are important and we need to take care of ourselves in order to take care of others, then we can't possibly do what we want to do and we're only going to hurt ourselves in the long run, right? So that's just an important life analogy I put in the book because I want people to realize that these are commonplace everyday things and we have to stop putting ourselves on the back burner. Exactly. I love that analogy as well. It makes so much sense, doesn't it? It, it's something that I think you have to see it on that very simplistic level in order to really make it happen. Yeah. And I think one of the important things, again, for those of us who've been through it, is that, and and we're both testament to that, you get out the other side and you have this amazing life ahead of you. It's not the end of the road, which some women, when they're in the middle of it, worry about but you know you're through it and here you are now you're an author you're a, you're a, an international speaker you've got so much going on you know it's fantastic i love that message that we can get out to women who are in the middle of it and maybe can't see light at the end of the tunnel that it will all be okay Oh my, it's so important for women to know that, you know, just because of perimenopause and menopause kind of means you are now not relevant in the world anymore, that you shouldn't be saying things or, you know, and, and it, here in the United States, there is some blow about, about some 
um, you know, uh, journalists saying, oh, yeah, you know, well, you know, once a woman goes through menopause, she's kind of over, you know, every important thing in her life and no longer is relevant. And it really caused quite a stir because I feel like they're actually, you get to a point in your life and sometimes you have more to say, or I shouldn't say sometimes, I think all the times you have more to say because you have such life experiences now and so many things you can help other people through that we should think of it as another phase that helps us um, become more confident in ourselves. It helps us reach out to others. It makes us more knowledgeable, right? So we have to think of it as a good phase in our life instead of a bad phase. Exactly. And, and that article you mentioned, was that a recent article? No, it was a newscaster. And I'm sorry, I cannot remember the newscaster's name. And they were going through this whole thing. And he just kind of made this comment that, you know, once you're at that stage in life, well, you know, you're over, you're over the hill, you know, and, and it really was very, very upsetting to many people. Wow, I'm not surprised. I bet there was a backlash. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so let's get on to your book because I'm very excited to talk about that and what we can all do to help ourselves and what, what we can expect sometimes and what we can do to prevent all that sort of information. Yes, that would be great. So do you want to start <clears throat> by that you wrote the book, I guess, because of your history as a, um, a, a pelvic physical therapist because you wanted to help lots of women. And what were the most common things that you were seeing in uh, menopausal women, perimenopausal women? Yeah, so um, menopause is an interesting time period because we do have changes in hormonal levels, changes in our life, lots of things going on. Um, we begin to have a higher risk for some of the conditions, and those are urinary incontinence, fecal incontinence, prolapse, pain with sex, and even overall pelvic pain. But the thing is, we don't connect that with menopause because we're just told, oh, you know, you have those things as you get older and just live with it. And you can see aisles of, you know, incontinence products and so forth, yet nobody talks about things that you can do for yourself to either prevent it or if you have it, to get better with it. Um, and those are some of just the main things that you might discover in the pelvic area. Same with pain with sex. It's kind of like, well, yeah, you know, you have dry tissues, just live with it or, you know, just use this or whatever it may be. And, and instead of saying, well, there's some really great things you can do to get your pelvic floor healthy and actually improve or get rid of that pain with sex at a time period where we should be enjoying it, right? We should be really having a wonderful time period with our partner um, at that point. And unfortunately, that can be interruptive, but then we're kind of told, well, you know, that's okay. You know, we expect it and maybe just give sex up, you know, and that's, that's a horrible yeah. thing to be told, you know, that, oh, well, just give those things up in your life or wear a pad for the rest of your life or don't leave your house because fecal incontinence embarrasses you. Um, these are some of the things that I think we need to dispel those myths. And the book um, does that uh, through a lot of different ways, which I can explain, but there are a lot of it, once you understand some of these things better, you realize, oh, there's lots I can do. And there's hope, you know, for that person that they can do things for themselves. Yeah, wonderful. And, and what are some of the things uh, we can do? So the first thing I call the book, The Musculoskeletal Mystery, How to Solve Your Pelvic Floor Symptoms, because I find that people 
cannot make the connection of the musculoskeletal system to their diagnoses. And what I mean by that is the musculoskeletal system is such an important part of our pelvic floor and our pelvis. We are rich with muscles in that area and they can either do their job and help us function correctly, or if there's a breakdown, they can cause a lot of these conditions I just talked about. So if everybody, and that is whether you're a layperson or a professional, understands better the musculoskeletal system, they can understand what that link is. And I know it sounds funny to say professionals, but when they go through medical school, nursing school, PA school, they often don't get that full history, that full education on the pelvic floor musculature, so they themselves don't make the connection. So I'll, I'll explain that the pelvic floor itself is a series of muscles, not just one muscle, even though people call it the levator ani. You hear that word maybe um, for the pelvic floor musculature, but it's actually made up of separate muscles that have slightly different jobs, but a, a, a combined job together. And the first job would be supportive. So what does that mean? That means that the pelvic floor holds us up through our whole life. So whether we cough, we sneeze, we lift something, that it holds us up. It has a sphincteric job. That means our little sphincters, which are circular muscles that help control bodily functions. So it could be, it controls our pee or urination. So the muscle can close and we don't urinate. It opens and we do urinate. But if it's weak, it can open on its own, creating a leakage. We have anal sphincters, which help control our bowels. So whether we poop, and if that's working well, then it's closed when we don't want to poop. It's open when we do. If it's weak, we can lose fecal matter or poop when we don't want to, or we can have just a little bit of a stain on the underwear, or we, we can have a massive loss, or we can have a gas loss. We can be walking along, you know, with a walking toots, as some people call, because we have a weak <laughs> pelvic floor, right? Um, Or during exercise, they're embarrassed. They don't want to go to exercise class because they've lost of gas. And then they stop exercising, which is so important during menopause, right? So it can limit the ability to exercise, which can be a terrible kind of um, rolling snowball, right? Where things get worse and worse. And then that's the second function. The third function is sexual. And this is really important because it helps us have intercourse and it helps us enjoy intercourse. So if we a weak or a tight floor or dry uh, tissue that makes the muscles get tighter, we have a snowball effect there as well. And after a while, we don't want to have intercourse and we blame it on low libido or Um, hormones and estrogen instead of saying, well, maybe the tight muscles are causing these problems. So we need to address that. And then lastly, the fourth uh, function is, I shouldn't say lastly, the fourth function is kind of this uh, part of our whole core. And we mistakenly hear the word core and people think it's the washboard. It's only that part of our abdominals when that is the least important. Our pelvic floor is actually the 
most important part of our core. It's the foundation to our house if we want to look at it. And our the rest of our core, like our abdominals, is the front of the house. Our diaphragm where we breathe from is the roof of the house. And our back and buttock musculature is the back of the house. But if we full, pull the foundation out from our house, we end up losing the whole structure, right? We end up somehow impacting the whole structure of the house. So that's important. And then the very last function is the sump pump, as we call it, where it helps actually pump fluid out of the pelvic area. It helps um, prevent like congestion of fluid in the area. So that's five functions for an area that we completely ignore. Isn't that interesting? Like we don't even know that it's there and it does all this beautiful work. So lots of jobs, little recognition. Wow. Yeah. Who knew? (laughs) (laughs) And, And is there sort of something that you can tell the listeners, just something that we can do to help? Because, you know, as you say, we're not very aware of it. We, we are aware of it when we're pregnant because we're told to, you know, exercise those muscles and you, you know, you're told to stop peeing, but apparently that's not good advice anymore because that, that's meant to strengthen it. But what, what are the things that we can do to prevent anything happening down the line? Yeah. So staying at the global staying active, walking, it doesn't need to be aggressive exercises by any means. But, you know, walking and staying active is like one thing that I always advise, you know, that that's a bigger general uh, picture. But for our pelvic floor itself, um, I can explain a little bit. So I'll, I'll take that a step back a little bit. But in the book, I spend four pages explaining how to do a pelvic floor contraction and relaxation. Because the misconception people have when they say a Kegel is that, well, I just need to tighten and squeeze that pelvic floor as hard as I can, and I need to do a thousand of them. (laughs) And I tell people, please don't do that. Please don't stop to try to stop your urine because that is the reverse of how the pelvic floor should function. And if you think back to when I was talking about sphincters, If Mm. that pelvic floor, you're trying to pee and close the muscle at the same time, you're doing the reverse of what that's the pelvic floor is meant to do. So you're you're trying to do something that is the reverse of its normal functional capability. So instead, what I tell people is you want to think of a drawing up and in sensation and then a release. And I caution everybody that if you're trying to do the exercise and you cannot find the muscle, I know that sounds funny, but many people cannot find it. They don't know how to to actually do that drawing up and in sensation. If they can't do that, they have pain with it, or they cannot relax it, that is a sign that you need to go to pelvic PT. It's very important to realize that because if you try to do these exercises when you have these issues, you can make those symptoms worse. An example would be overactive bladder. We think, well, we need to strengthen it. And yes, they probably do need to strengthen it. However, if they overdo it, they can actually irritate the muscle that can make it feel like they have to go to the bathroom. So there, there's part of your pelvic floor that if it gets really tight and full of trigger points like any other muscle in the body, 
it can actually make you feel like you have to go to the bathroom. So if you're over-exercising that, you might be increasing that overactivity. If you're over-exercising, you might create more pain with sex. So I always tell people that if you have those symptoms when you're trying to do this exercise, please go to pelvic PT. That's really important. If you can find your pelvic floor and you can exercise it, start slowly. Make sure you relax after each contraction and build it with holding it a little bit longer and maybe doing 10 exercises in a row. If you can do that, you probably are okay with doing pelvic floor exercises and starting younger is really good. But um, as we mentioned earlier, early on, you can do this at any, any age. Anybody at any age can do these exercises, but if you need guidance, then pelvic PT is the way to go. Um, so please don't think that just as you get older or during menopause, you can't do this. You absolutely can and should do it. That That's of vital importance. So I'd say that pelvic floor exercise is indeed one really important part of helping someone who has any of these kinds of symptoms or conditions. And then another thing I'd say is breathing. And I know that sounds really funky, but diaphragmatic breathing, deep breathing through the nose, blowing out through the mouth, taking your time blowing out is a huge part because that's the roof, as I mentioned, with the core. And every time you take a great diaphragmatic breath in and out, you're actually actually influencing the pelvic floor and getting it to activate. And you're getting it to work as a combo unit, which is what it's meant to do. We functionally should be doing that. So if we get stressed, if we get tired, as I was at sandwich generation, you're running about, sometimes you need to stop and take a breath, smell the roses, so to speak, mm-hmm. and make sure that we're using the whole core appropriately. Wow. So it's all connected. Every bit connected. Absolutely. The 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 exercise that you've described is great. I think we've all thought, oh yes, you, the more you do, the better, but it's not the more you do. But And you know, there are lots of um, apparatus on the market that you can use to help you. What do you think of those? Are they useful or not? They can be. Um, and the reason why I say they can be, it's also with a an appropriate usage and an appropriate device. So there are some that are simplistic, like cones where you can insert it into the vaginal canal. Um, I never recommended those a lot. I would find it's really useful only if someone has a relatively strong pelvic floor to begin with, and they want to try to have like what we call appropriative feedback. They want to feel something in the vaginal canal canal to give them feedback. And that can be okay. But again, if someone has pain or they're really struggling, those can be very frustrating or can increase pain. So I'm always a little bit hesitant, you know, to to recommend them because I think it's a small group of people. There are some devices that you can insert as well and you can kind of see a little arm moving. Those can be good. And then there are some that are like battery powered and can help assist in the feeling of it. Again, I would say you usually have to be very careful with those, knowing that your pelvic floor can already handle it. If you're having pain, if you're struggling with it, then then a professional, a pelvic floor PT can kind of guide you through that. And then you can absolutely use it at home as a home device because now you know, is it appropriate for you and how do you use it, right? So yeah. we use something called biofeedback in our clinics 
Um, I use that with patients for both relaxation and strengthening. And once they have a good idea, they can often use a biofeedback unit at home. And that's great too. So yes, there are tons of units out there, but I always say with a little bit of caution, and if they're struggling at all, have a professional guide them and then use it at home. And that combo usually is the best way for someone yeah. to get care um, with those devices. Brilliant. And and now in, in terms of your book, your book will take someone right from the start through to a whole list of things that they can be doing to help their pelvic health. Yes, absolutely. So the great thing is we start with that musculoskeletal system like we were describing um, and then take it to the next level. How do your conditions relate to that so you know why you're having the symptoms? Then there's an entire chapter on what you would expect in a pelvic PT, pelvic floor exam, so that when you go, you're not afraid of what in the world are they going to do in in this treatment or this assessment, right? And I don't want people to be nervous or afraid or have anxiety with it because that keeps people from actually going. Then there's an entire chapter on what you get in pelvic floor PT so that you understand what are some of the things that a pelvic floor PT would do to help you with these challenges. And then there's an entire great section on self-care. So how do you do these exercises? How do you do, let's say, if you have overactive bladder, how do you actually treat that overactive bladder yourself so that you don't have, you know, the leakage when you're in the middle of a store or you're out trying to have fun with friends and you're on vacation? How do you get rid of using pads? That's all in there, fecal incontinence, um, how to help yourself. So an example would be if you've paid with sex, there are things called dilators, and wands that can help someone stretch their pelvic floor. So initially, maybe with guidance with pelvic PT, but then on their own, how do they treat that? How do you use lubricants and uh, vaginal moisturizers, especially during menopause? I mean, that's huge. Um, one of my favorites is um, aloe vera. It's a Desert Harvest is the company. Aloe vera is a aloe vera-based um, uh substance that is all natural, right? So if people are worried about chemicals and other uh, ingredients that might be harmful, this is all natural. It teaches them how to use that. What do you do, you know, to help that pelvic floor stay healthy every single day in menopause and then during sex? So all of this is in this self-care chapter, very detailed. So someone can open the book up and say, wow, oh my gosh, I didn't know I could do all this great stuff for myself or a loved one. How do I help, you know, someone else through this rough time? Um, and at the end, I call them pearls of wisdom or each chapter actually has pearls of wisdom. So we mentioned the oxygen mask analogy. It kind of puts like some patient things that happen that taught me how to look at life differently, or I could help them look at life differently. What are some things that happen in our life that we should look at that can help us get over some of these pelvic floor issues and even over some general life things that happen to us. How do we look at it differently that helps us have a positive image about our a po positive image about, about our pelvic floor instead of a negative image. Um, and then at the end, I've got a, how do you prevent um, having Dr. Google influence your life in a very poor way? Because a lot of people do look things up on the internet and then they get very scared about 
what's out there. This this has reputable sites that someone can go to to get more information. Brilliant. Well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there because it's talking about we, 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 we're not even aware of our pelvic floor, I think, as we once we've finished with childbirth, if we've had children, we think, oh, it's all okay, it's working fine. And then it's only when something goes wrong that you actually think, oh, I need to pay a bit of attention there now. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's uh, it's kind of sad that we look at things as, oh, it happened. Now, what do I do to get it better? Instead of preventive, what can I do for myself so I don't have those issues? And that starts early in life. You know, it's really, you know, I always say if I could have every eighteen-year-old young lady in the in the clinic and teach them some basic things for their life, I would love it. <laughs> um, but that's not the way things work at this point. Um, even during pregnancy, and we're trying very, very hard in the United States right now to change the narrative that you know, well you know, if you're having problems during pregnancy and after pregnancy, it'll probably go away and just live with it. No, we need to look at it during pregnancy and what we call the fourth trimester. So it's not just the six weeks after giving birth. It could be months and a year or more afterwards. If that individual is having problems, then we want to address that because we don't want those problems revisiting later in life, especially during menopause where there's a greater risk that these problems come back. So if we can treat things during pregnancy and fourth trimester, we can maybe be preventative of things that happen in menopause or at least understand it better and help ourselves during menopause so, so much better. Wonderful. And now how can people get a copy of your book? Um, you can get it on Amazon. Um, you can get it at desertharvest.com. And then we also have a UK distributor um, called Pelvic Relief. Um, and she has it. So if you look on the products part of her website under Desert Harvest, you'll find it there as well. So a lot of great different ways for people to find the book. Okay. I'll put that on the on the podcast um, episode information so that people will have access to that as well. Thank you. That, that'll be great. I, I hope people really, you know, can get that great information. It can really, you know, change the narrative. And that's, that's key is that we try to change that narrative of we have to live with this, especially during menopause, because that's what women are told is you, you have to live with this. And, and it's kind of sad that, you know, it's 2023 and we still are told you have to live with these things when there are some pretty easy things that can be done. Exactly. And I, I'm hoping that you know, the listeners will hear this and then hopefully start doing something about it so it is preventative and then it doesn't become an issue as, as they go through you know, further into the menopause journey. Right, right. And, you know, I, I always tell people, please, you know, reach out for that medical pref practitioner before, you know, things escalate out because, you know, same with incontinence that we were talking about before, both fecal and urinary um, incontinence are things that we are, we feel is so commonplace. But I tell people these conditions are common. They're not normal. And we have to normalize the talk about it so people feel comfortable talking about it. But we don't want to say the conditions are normal because that makes people say, well, okay, it's I just have to live with it. No, we, we want to make sure that people understand they're not alone. Many other people suffer with this, but there is help for it. And there are many things we can do for it. 
And I think that's a fantastic message that we've hopefully passed on to a lot of people here. But that that was wonderful, Ingrid. Thank you so much for sharing that. And um, I'm so excited to read your book. Oh, thank you, Annie, for having me on. I really appreciate it and love getting this me- this message out there. It's a great one. It's a really good message. Thank you, Ingrid. Thank you.